0: The truck! You are
1: listening to Why Truck! Are you ready to truck it? It's time for your Nooner with Dooner. Welcome to uh, Monday. Welcome to a post-Lions and Ravens world. It's pulling for the Lions, man. Game fell apart. It was looking good at first. Eminem got excited. Given giving the bird to everybody. Maybe that was bad karma. I hope he didn't pull a marky mark and leave at halftime, though. Although the Lions were, uh, were still leading at that point. We have some breaking news, some breaking news in the freight world. We're losing a voice. Right, Rachel Premack, today is her last day, her last modes. Um, last Monday was her, I believe, last time to appear on the show. Maybe she'll come on in the new world, in the new roles she's doing. But in terms of like her daily job and her weekly job of coming on here and writing about freight, that's uh that is setting sail as Rachel goes uh beyond the the golden rainbow into her new pursuits. Rachel, thank you so much. Best of luck in your future endeavors and thank you so much for being a voice on the show and a voice to many of your readers on the newsletter side, which your excellent newsletter modes. I will see you on the flip side. Now, I got to talk about something before we get to some guests because this was creating a lot of anxiety in our freight community here. Take a look at this little poster. This is uh, this has caused a lot of weekend talk. KLAC reports a convoy of trucker patriots calling themselves Guards Army is bringing their take-our-border-back convoy to the border in Texas. They're headed for rallies along the border in uh, Eagle Pass, Texas, Yuma, Arizona, and San Ysidro, California. Vice reports the organizer's current plan is for the convoy to dev- to depart virginia beach on monday and snake down through the southeast stopping over in jacksonville florida before making its way several stops along the border the convoy will then split up for our separate rallies on february 3rd one near eagle pass a second in yuma and that third one near san ysidro in friday morning's appearance on fox business gop congressman Texan Keith Chef suggested that as many as 700,000 vehicles could participate. Now, this took like on a whole sort of telephone game thing and 700,000 vehicles quickly turned into 700,000 semi trucks, all of which sounds very fantastical. I'm here to tell you that I highly doubt that this anywhere close to this number. Ford Fisher is on the scene out at the departure this morning in Virginia. There was one RV two SUVs, a couple uh, minivans, a couple pickup trucks going. There wasn't even a single semi-truck. Now it's February 3rd. Maybe this could pick up on top of them, but let's talk about how unrealistic 700,000 semi-trucks would be. For example, Craig Fuller tweeted this. He says, 700,000 truckers showing up for a protest is ludicrous. There are fewer trucks inside of the entire state of Texas right now. There are a total of 4 million semi-trucks in the United States. Trucker protests in the U.S. rarely amount to more than a tiny fraction of what organizers suggest. I agree with him. Rest easy. I do not think 700,000 are going to be there, though. Could you imagine the spot market if 700,000 trucks showed up at this protest? Uh, Chad ad said, let's fact check the mainstream media, shall we? The average truck-trailer combination is approximately 78 feet long. Now let's allow around 10 feet for spacing between each truck. 700,000 trucks times 88 feet would equate to over over 11,667 miles. Six full lanes from Laredo to New York, This would be quite quite the protest. Bob they says surely this would surely put a damper on truck capacity and toilet paper and everything else, even seven thousand is probably a high estimate. Chris Maybury says I think seven hundred thousand is probably very overblown here it wouldn 't take more than several hundred to cause massive congestion at the border though Cody Adler says the only way seven hundred thousand trucks are showing up anywhere at the same time would be if the shipper was offering twelve thousand dollars for cross border runs, and Joseph Daniels said, "Who the heck?" can afford to do that kind of haul right now. What do you think? You think this is going to amount to much? I mean, it does, like he, like Chris said, it doesn't have to be 700000 to be disruptive in our industry, but I don't think we see any number that even puts a blip in sonar, and if the way this thing has started out, I don't think it's going to get very far. The organizers, they've raised like over $50,000 on GoFundMe, though, so keep an eye out on it. Minor, 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 minor risk this week in terms of your freight, but worth pointing out. Another quick story before we get over to our guests, Flexport has a plan to lay off 20% of their workers, according to insiders. This is really, really interesting because we just had some Flexport news. But Gray Sharkey says global supply chain solutions provider Flexport may be contemplating another round of layoffs in the coming weeks, according to sources familiar with the matter. Initially reported Friday by The Information, insiders disclosed the company is considering a workforce reduction of approximately 20%, potentially affecting close to 500 employees. Freightways contacted Flexport for a statement on this, but we have no answer back, so we're not entirely sure if this is going to come through. Back in October, the company had another round of layoffs that cut out about 20% of their workforce, which at the time was 700 employees that were laid off. And uh, last, last Friday, what's curious is Flexport's secured that $260 million loan from Shopify, but clearly the company sees... It seems to them they still need to right-size this ship and use that loan to get profita- profitable down the future. Ryan Peterson, their CEO and founder, he'll be on the show at the end of the month. Um, lot to talk about with him, a lot of clarity to get on that. But hey, let's get to the main broadcast. On episode 675 of What the Truck, I'm talking to Overhaul's Danny Raymond about cargo theft spiking 57% from 2022 to 2023. He'll tell us why he thinks the problem will be even worse in 2024 and what you can do to protect your... Freight. Will this be the year of the warehouse robot? Maybe it already is. Corber Supply Chain's John Santagate join us to talk all things robots, AI, and software. What trends are empower- empowering warehouses now, and which ones will pave the way for the future? And uh, what better way to know how trucks work and how to get truck parts than to go out and buy your own truck? That's what our first guest did. CarMax, Jim Allen, he went to get a truck. He's been to Heavy Duty Parts Week. We're going to talk about some of the tech driving heavy-duty parts, and he's right here in the green room. So let's bring Jim up. Jim, how you doing? I'm doing well. How are you doing, sir? How was that? How, hey, how was Heavy Duty Parts Week? Matt,
2: it was was really good. It was very well attended. I don't have a number on it, but a few thousand people showed up. The trade show had over 300 booths and and vendors of various parts and and services and technology. We were there. Carmack was there with our uh, Fusion booth and also our Truckmore booth. So we have a application that drivers can use to stay connected to their service shop or dealer of choice. So we, we did really well, lots of great opportunity there, but excitement. There was also a distributor of the year. So this is after heavy duty aftermarket week. So the distributor of the year, Tidewater fleet won that and some pretty good competition, but an outstanding event Wednesday night at the AT&T st- stadium. We're home of the Ooh. Dallas Cowboys. So they had a really cool reception there where you could pass punt and kick. I did so, and I'm still recovering from those injuries, but uh, an outstanding event, for sure.
1: You don't happen to have footage of your punt attempt, do you?
2: I do, but I, I, I did. It was so wide left, I'm embarrassed, but I did catch a touchdown pass, so I feel like I redeemed
1: myself. And in the, in the Cowboy Stadium, I mean, that's absolutely fantastic. By, by the way, I have, I don't talk about the part side a ton on this show, and I think the last time we really got deep into it was during the supply chain crisis and people were having very long windows and lead times and costs to get parts. Have Has that trend uh, changed itself at all, or are we looking better in that space?
2: Somewhat, yes. Uh, there's still, you know, a, a, a wrestling match with new trucks and used trucks, that market's just all over the place, but the the supply chain stuff has been largely corrected. There's still uh, pockets where that's a challenge. And you know, what, what Carmack does and why it's curious for drivers and fleet owners and operators is we really create the business system that operates that, manages the inventory, the service, the repair, the sale, everything that dealership or service shop or trailer dealer does, Warehouse distributor, we manage that business for them, including some stuff along the lines of uh, not only just managing their inventory, but also staying connected with their customers. Again, I mentioned that app. So we created a mobile uh, service app which we're really excited. It's the first one of its kind out. What happens is if you're broke down on the side of the road, this expedites that process. So the, the dealer will just come right out wherever the heck you are, anywhere. You don't even even have to have the signal, but they'll create those repair orders, do that repair for you and get your, get your rep right back up and running and taking off. So, you know, Carmack does a lot more than just the parts inventory, but that's definitely our uh, claim to fame in the beginning. We've been in business 43 years and that's how it all started was with inventory.
1: Well, you did something very interesting a year or two ago. You bought your own semi-truck. Why did you go out and buy a semi-truck?
2: <laughs> well, as a CEO of a, of a tech company in the heavy-duty space, I felt like if I was going to really understand the business end-to-end, I wanted to understand what the, our customers' customers feel. So again, our, our software is consumed by uh, heavy-duty dealerships, service shop, and trailer repair shops and trailer dealers so I thought boy I would really like to sit in the driver's lounge I want to get that full experience so I can help them find efficiencies and the goal was if I can create any sort of efficiency and impact that driver uptime get that truck back on the road that's well worth doing so I jumped in with both feet I bought an old cab over uh, which I just thought was super cool and had it wrapped in the American flag and I do a lot of driving around for uh, veteran groups uh, veteran events, things of that nature, first responders, parades. I'm not hauling a lot of freight in that thing, but I certainly, it's DOT inspected. I keep all the paperwork up and I, I did learn a lot through it. So it's been an outstanding learning experience for me, but I really wanted to connect to that customer base.
1: You know, we hear about CEOs doing ride alongs and, you know, maybe they do a ride along to match something. You went out and bought the entire truck. What was your prof- What was your buying process? What did you learn from that? And what truck did you get? You
2: know, the process was I we do a big user conference every year for our company in St. Louis, and uh, we have five or six hundred people attend that. And I challenged my uh, customers from the main stage platform and said, hey, I want to buy a truck and I want one of you to find it for me. And I thought that would be the easiest way to fish was just let them sell me one and I ended up being uh, out of Indiana. There's a, a good friend of mine who runs uh, Weirs International uh, over in Indiana named Drew Hedick, and he called me on a Sunday and said, hey, I think I found something for you. And uh, he actually went up and looked at it, took one of his diesel mechanic, because I live in St. Louis, and I made the deal over the phone based on his recommendation. I didn't even have my CDL yet. I was studying for it, so I had to go get my CDL and take that test, which is another great story. But that whole process was outstanding, so I bought it without seeing it, got it uh, to one of the local Kenworth dealers actually near me who I have a relationship and parked it there until so I could drive it. But it's a 91 International 9670 cab over, single screw. It's got a Cummins and Eaton Fuller 9-speed and it's a runner. I mean, she everything operates like it should on that old truck and it gets a lot of attention because of the color scheme, as you can imagine.
1: Oh, I would imagine that's a nice wrap that you, you put on there. What, what, how, what was the process of getting the CDL like? You know, it was uh, I, I
2: this was I was one of the very last people to get my CDL before you had to go to an accredited school. Like they changed the rules that January. And uh so I have a friend of mine that drove for uh Pepsi for a long time and he had retired and started a school with one truck. And so I called him up and he said, Yeah, come on, and I hopped in the truck and he felt like I was further along than most of the students. <laughs> I drove the truck once outside the, the gates and, and uh, I spent a couple hours doing some backing and uh straight back and parallel and then uh, docking and he said i think you're ready and i said boy i don't feel like i am but the tree, the pre-trip was the biggest obstacle people mess up that a lot but i studied that religiously went and i was pretty nervous to take the driving test because i hadn't really had a lot of experience but i've driven a lot of boats and trailers in the past and i'm like oh it's got to be similar <laughs> yeah but i you know <clears throat> i did well and i passed i was super
1: excited yeah, I had to drive a race car once with no experience and I, I hadn't shifted anything in years, but I was with a bunch of guys and like, you know, it's like, well, what's the worst that can happen? Um, I'll just I'll just get out there and go. It's too late now. I'm already standing here. And you know what? I ended up winning the race. So you got to believe in yourself.
2: That's right. You know, and I'm, I am i always say I'm all in. That's my last name is all in. Most people pronounce it wrong. All
1: right. Well, and, uh, all in- <laughs> All in, what, what have you learned? So you got the truck and you intentionally got one you kind of had to monkey around with. You didn't get a completely finished truck. You, need, you wanted something you'd have to order some parts with. You'd have to rebuild back up. What have you learned about ordering parts and your own customer from having the truck?
2: You know, I've learned that it's expensive. And yeah. uh, for me, it's not as critical. Downtime isn't as critical for me because it's not a daily working truck, but I've really learned how important that is. When I sat in the driver's lounge, when my truck was getting a new starter put on it, for example... I realized that every minute I'm sitting there, that truck isn't making money. So I, I immediately started making notes also about my experience in the driver lounge the communication, and that's where our technology comes in. It really comes down to communication, and keeping everyone informed during that repair uh, from all the way from scheduling to payment. And, and so I, I share those notes and I try to make a good experience in the driver's lounge. Uh, some of them, are they run the gamut of really nice and, and also really rustic. So really making a nice, comfortable place and give an opportunity for that driver to not just take a break, but have everything he needs there to communicate, but be informed during that repair process. And that's where we really look to that end user to say, how do we get that uh, truck up back on the road as quickly as humanly possible? And the technology plays a big role in that as we work with those dealers and repair shops.
1: Has this, like, has owning the truck changed the trajectory of product design? Have you taken learnings from this and applied them to what you all do at Carmack?
2: Absolutely. And, you know, part of it is we we made it, uh, acquired a business uh, called Truckmore, and you can go Google that. But it's basically a lot of that stuff is in there. It's just the the. The streamlined communication between that driver or fleet owner and the dealership and everybody involved in getting that repair. So you'll see uh, just enhanced communication. Uh, There's some payment options in there. There's all kind of good stuff in there. But again, there's coupons and deals. It's just a way to connect to that dealer. And that was one of my big takeaways is. How can I really stay connected for the dealers or the repair shops? It's really great because they keep the customers in the loop. They can actually advertise their part sales or oil change specials, things of that nature. You see a lot of this in the auto side on the dealership, on the auto side, they have these apps that they uh, drive you to. So we really wanted to fill that gap and keep people informed of the repair and I don't know how much time you've spent in the dealer lounge, but it's like, a, you know, you're a waiting room where you're just waiting and waiting and you're aware that that truck is just sitting there. So it was painful for me to go through it. I can't imagine if I had, you know, loads of freight that I was really uh, relying on to get where it needed to go. So the pressure is real.
1: Yeah, no. And I see drivers complain about it all the time. It's one of those things that actually contributes to attrition, the cost and just that time and not being able to operate the truck. Um, Small carriers go out of business in those moments. Big carriers go out of business when there's a lot of repairs. But before I let you go, 2024, what trend or headwind in repair do you think that our carrier listeners are going to face?
2: I think that the biggest thing right now and the biggest uh, ask that we have is around mobile service, whether it's an oil field somewhere. And keep in mind, sometimes there's no phone signal out there, but our technology has to where it doesn't need that. And it'll connect as soon as it connects. So it's really, really focused on uptime for that rig and making sure that that repair gets turned around wherever it is. So you don't have to get a tow to the dealership necessarily. You hit that thing up and do a service request in that app and that, that uh, dealer or shop will engage you and get out there and get you turned around as quickly as possible, likely save you some money from having a tow, those kind of things. So there's a lot of demand on mobile service. I see that sector growing quite a bit. Uh, It makes sense because you're saving the time of, you know, having to get back and forth to wherever you're having that vehicle repaired, truck or trailer. So they can get those parts ordered immediately when they get that request. They can get out there and troubleshoot and get that truck back on the road. So that's a big thing. The other thing that I absolutely think is getting huge, or it's at the cusp because heavy duty seems to be a little slower to adapt. But the AI technology, the big data stuff, those things are huge. We're obviously investigating those things and working on some uh, cool uh, solutions for that. So, you know, we we pride ourselves 43 years of being the premier solution provider, and we're going to continue that. So we're always going to be cutting edge and looking at how we can use that AI technology to better serve our customers and their customers, because that's the bottom line of what keeps American rolling, keep them trucks rolling. And uh, everybody's doing well, and the economy moves forward when we do those quickly. So that's really what I see is a lot of the data, uh, AI stuff, and then the mobile service is really what we're proud of right now. But then again, wrap it up in a lot of communication so everybody knows what the heck is going on. Hey, uh, by the way, did you ever name that truck that you got? Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, its I have a friend of mine. It's a local uh, radio host, and uh, when he saw the wrap after it got wrapped and it pulled out, he goes, Jim, that's what freedom looks like. So we immediately <laughs> started calling it Freedom Truck, and it's interesting because I met at HJW. There's actually a uh, repair shop Freedom Truck and Trailer. Uh, they were actually up for the award, and they didn't uh, win it, but uh, – you know, it's. I have a website, STL Freedom Truck. It kind of turned on to a life of its own because especially I'm a veteran, so I got involved in a lot of veteran groups. I've had some famous people riding the truck, which is awesome, but it does. I, I've I've had an opportunity to meet with the local Boy Scouts, teach them about trucking, what all the parts of a truck are, get in there and you know, yank on the cable and pull that air horn. Really try to encourage people to get into this industry because it's big and it's super important what we do is very important to not just our local economies but to the world like trucks move america and there's no doubt about that but we want to keep them rolling and we're excited to be a part of that from a technology standpoint but i have to also i just the kind of person that needs to understand all of it so that's why i bought the truck that's my truck it's not a company truck i i maintained it myself and do as much repair as I can on my own, but I do utilize some of our customers to to get some of the bigger stuff done. I actually had mobile service done. I put all new tires on it. Uh, that's when I mentioned that I learned that things are expensive. <laughs> so, yeah.
1: Anyway, yeah. I want to get Will We'll give you that primer. Well, good luck to you. Good luck to Carmack. Good luck, good luck to Freedom. Go check out Freedom's website. Go check out Carmack's website. Thank you so much for giving us some insight into how the heavy-duty parts CEO thinks. Right on. Thank you. Take care. All right, everybody. OSHA, divert your eyes because you're not going to like this. Meanwhile, let's take a look over here. This is a new way to unload a truck. I don't know. Let's see. Do you think robots will ever be able to do that? I don't know if they're that agile. Although I've seen the boss, like, I've seen the dancing robots before. Let's see if they can do this. Mindblowing says, good skill, but dangerous. Yeah, I'd agree. Dural uh, Mighty says, though, this is therapeutic, actually. I don't know if he means watching this, because it, it is therapeutic to watch it. I'm not sure of doing it. New form of log rolling. And Chelsea Winthrow says, how long till he falls off? I don't know, but longer than the 14 seconds that this video is. I, I think he's got some skill. All right, right now, John Santigate, VP of, Robo- of Robotics at Corber Supply Chain, and also, if I'm not mistaken, you're also a UMass Lowell guy. Uh, indeed, Tim, I am. <laughs> nice to hear. Sorry, do you live over in uh, the Commonwealth? Are you in Massachusetts? I, I do, I do. It seems you uh, you moved away a little while ago, but I'm still here in the North Shore. Ah, uh, wow. Okay, whereabouts in the North Shore? I used to work out of um, I used to work out of Chelsea, Wood Island Station over there, and then East Boston.
3: Yep, there you go. I'm a little bit farther north here, up in uh, Merrimack, right by Newburyport,
1: Amesbury area. Nice little, nice little pocket of Massachusetts. I like it. I like it. Well, hey, for people who are not yet familiar, some of our listeners that don't touch Warehouse Robots, what's Corber Supply Chain Solutions?
3: Yeah, thanks, Tim. So, well, Corber Supply Chain is uh, a broad software application company. Our organization provides warehouse applications, everything, including warehouse management, warehouse control, labor management, transportation management, etc., anything essentially that ends in the management aspect of uh, warehouse management. I happen to lead our robotics group, so what we do is we help organizations understand, uh, given all the noise out there with mobile robotics, what really fits into their operation? How do you design and deploy robotic systems that can improve uh, warehouse operations?
1: You know, I um a lot of people they might be thinking of robots and they're thinking of like RoboCop or something uh bipedal, but a lot of the warehouse robots I cover, they look a lot like this guy Right here, they look a lot like little autonomous sorters and rolling things that you either put big stacks on or small stacks on and they move around. You are a robots expert. Tell me a little bit about what's going on with warehouse robots in 2024. I find the space very exciting, and I find it the easy, like, probably the ease, like, compared to trucking in terms to automate it because you have a controlled environment.
3: That, that's, a, that's a key point there, Tim, controlled environment. So you've got four walls and you're doing some stuff. You're moving things in those four walls. Uh, the thing is right, like you mentioned, everybody thinks of robotics as looking different, right a robotic arm that's picking or placing you mentioned will the robots be able to unload the truck like that uh that gentleman that was just doing <laughs> <in the> your <year, laughs> film there, and he looked like he was doing some really nifty country line dancing there um I don't see robots doing that, but th- as you mentioned, some of them do uh do dance here and there. Uh, but form factor man it, it really uh th- there's a wide variety of form factor when you talk about warehouse robotics i tend to focus a lot on the autonomous mobile robotics uh robots that move around a warehouse move material from point a to point b uh are interacting is is uh, in the instances what you see on the screen here with uh, with pickers where they're handling all of the movement of the materials within a picking process uh and and again they take different forms some you know, a human will load material onto onto the robot in other environments. Robots are actually picking an entire shelf up and moving that to a picker who stays stationary. And, you know, what's really groundbreaking here is, um, you know, that industry itself has a high degree of turnover and, you know, there's a lot of uh, labor unavailability in warehousing. And so what we're looking to accomplish is to allow people to, to do more with less, essentially. So you want to be able to have fewer people because they're not available in this particular industry and augment what the folks do. So you stop them from having to walk throughout the entire facility and really keep your people into a more controlled scope of of range and allow the robots to take on all the movement of that material, whether it's a, a unit, a case, a pallet, whatever the case may be, they're moving all across the warehouse in multiple different um, different workflows, whether it's picking Uh, Full pallet handling in some instances. And then the robot you had shown is actually um, used in sortation where someone might put a a unit that's part of a multi-unit order. And that robot does the movement and then consolidation happens downstream. So, yeah, we're seeing this technology take shape all across the warehouse. Very exciting.
1: You know, back in 2019, when I was actually out in Massachusetts, a lot of robotics work out there, I did one of my first interviews, one of my first podcast interviews that even predated what the truck with uh, my first live interview with the person. And it was um, a robotics company out there. And I was all excited to hear about robots. And I get there and it's just a cart. It's just a cart that follows a person around. And I was like, why not hands? And what they told me was our hands are magical. Our hands and arm joints are incredibly awesome. They're very hard to replicate. So what they really wanted to do was to take down foot strokes and and, and and grabbing strokes for people and walking for people and to allow one person to do more work. That was the level of enhancement that robots were at. Is that kind of like where we're still at, at least in terms of like the uh, the pickers that follow people around? To a
3: degree. Right, that, that's one certain approach to the picking process. There are robotic vendors that do that. There's others where, you know, a robot will meet a person at a location, but you, you hit the key point, right? We can pick up anything with these hands, right? Whether it's a calculator, a screwdriver, a remote control, or a box of whey protein, doesn't matter. Any of those things we can pick up just by looking at them and know how to do that. And robots can't do that. They have to be told what to do and how to do it. We are seeing advancements in picking robots, uh, there are several vendors out there that exist today that are ha- that are enabling robots to handle more material through the application of artificial intelligence into their vision system, which means the systems can see what they're handling and the robot may not know how to handle it today, but through that interaction, we'll start to learn and process how it needs to handle similar shaped items that are in a similar configuration uh, or orientation within where they're picking. So. Uh, We're we're a little bit farther down the path of maturity when it comes to mobile robots and deploying robots that move things, Uh, but the the act of picking is certainly catching, um, you know, picking up steam in the space as we automate more and more of the mobile aspects, the next
1: logical place to look for uh, process improvements is the physical handling of materials. You know, one of the interesting things that we saw debut last year, and I think UPS actually got some of them, were like lumper robots, and it was like a conveyor belt with a big suction cup, and it could grab the boxes and it could put it on a, uh, it could put on a conveyor belt. The criticism against it, some people said, was it's still very, very slow, and uh, you know, the blowback on that was its early innings. Do you like any of these lumper bots that actually are grabbing freight? So you're referring to, like, the the bipeds, as you mentioned, that'll walk around and handle a tote or a case and and move them around. So it was, like, this big device that they had that I saw last year that, like, I think UPS was piloting it, and it was an arm with, like, a suction cup on it, and it could grab a box, basically, and put it on a conveyor belt. I don't know if the thing itself could move, but you could put it in front of a trailer, maybe overnight it would be a better application because it's a little bit slower, and it could just unload overnight. Yeah, I hear a truck unloading all
3: the time, right when we talk to uh to our customers and that that's one of those workflows that there's there's a lot of different ways to solve it. The easiest way today is put a couple of people in there, put in a telescoping conveyor and you load it up. Those robots that you're referencing are being designed to emulate what the human would do. Uh there is obviously the cost uh the cost consideration is that device, you know, cost effective for the workflow that it's being done. And to your point, a lot of things with robotics is not about being able to operate as fast as a human uh, but more being able to operate longer more consistently right because the the robots they're not they're not going to take a, a bathroom break or a lunch break throughout the day you can they can just continue to work with the exception of taking the occasional charge-up break when they need to when they would need to recharge but you build that into your design so while things may at times depending on the workflow take longer to accomplish and if you have a human operator if time isn't the issue that you're measuring, And you can structure your shifts differently. You can think differently about how to accomplish the same outcome and leverage more and more technology and automation into those processes.
1: What's the reality on drones? Through Those we hear, so much hype. There's been a lot of uh, development. A lot of solutions, like people who who make those have brought on here, I've kind of looked at them like, I don't know if that's better than a UPS truck. The regulations sound like they could be challenging on the delivery side, but there's also a lot of amazing uses for robots beyond just dropping a box. What do you see for robots? What's the trend this year? I mean, for a drone.
3: for, for drones, yeah, I mean,
1: I, I'm no drone expert, right? I, I focus a lot on the mobile robots, but I do track the
3: industry, and there's there's definitely a lot of opportunity. In fact, I'll go back to my time when I was in graduate school at Rutgers, and I was doing a I was an intern and doing a project with Department of Homeland Security, and we were looking at how do you better service uh, people that are stuck in a disaster zone, right? And at the time, drones weren't a thing, so we were looking at how do we pre-position inventory of medical supplies to be in the right location so that when a disaster happens there's stuff closer to to the point uh, of need today imagine you know you've got a a flood zone and, and folks on the roof of their home looking for help and you can go over with a drone see where folks are and start to understand what they need and actually deliver medical supplies to someone who's who's stranded in that sort of environment i think that there's certainly some really innovative use cases that we'll continue to see happening with drones uh when we look in the warehouse there's been a push for drones to be leveraged in inventory management. So use drones to fly through the facility and and take either video or pictures of inventory or capture RFID signals to tell you how much inventory is on the shelf. Uh, It's certainly there, not necessarily as widespread as um, in relation to the amount that you see and hear about that particular use case. And then I'm really, you know, bullish on the application of drones for delivery in the future, how close that really is. But could you imagine a scenario where instead of having your Amazon driver go door to, door to door to door to door in a neighborhood where they've got five deliveries and maybe being able to pull up to one door, launch the other four doors via drones, have them come back and then service you know five times as many uh, customers as they would in the time it took them to do one. So I think there's a lot of upside. I don't know that this is the year that there's a breakthrough, uh, but I certainly see the investments and innovations that are happening there, and I'm really excited about where that's going.
1: What, What are the sort of warehouse robotics bottlenecks right now? What's kind of slowing things down where you'd like to see it get accelerated?
3: Well, again, that comes down to workflow, right? We're at a stage now where robots in each picking, right? E commerce order fulfillment, e commerce has gone through the roof in terms of utilization, right? There was a, a steady 13 to 14% growth year over year. And then COVID happened and you saw 27% or whatever the number was growth in terms of uh, e commerce order fulfillment as a function of overall retail. And so the growth in e commerce is creating this scenario where you've got more individual units being handled in the warehouse as opposed to at the store. And so where retail used to be about shipping pallets to a retail store with a lot of units on it. So you've got a many to one relationship between person and units. Today, you've got a one-to-one relationship in many instances. You're picking up one unit to ship to one customer and you're using one person in the warehouse to do it. So where, where robots are really uh, accelerating in growth today is in that e-commerce and retail world where they're allowing people to more fit fewer people to accomplish a different type of volume, right and so uh, that's a, a very high growth area next up i I'm a firm believer in the utilization of fork based vehicles in the warehouse yeah. uh, you know they exist today, but they're not massively utilized and every warehouse I've ever walked into and I walked into quite a few has fork based vehicles. The question then becomes that balance of you know cost benefit analysis, but also current state need. As warehouses you know deploy robots for ecom order fulfillment, right? Once they start to stabilize, they'll roll that out throughout their broader network, and then you'll start to see okay, what comes next, and then start to look at okay, do we do some of these fork based automation uh, activities, or? Do we look at using mobile robotic arms for picking at these work cells that we've automated the function of bringing material to, or what's next? Uh, but there's really, you know, sky high growth opportunities for the mobile robotics and piece picking still, and that market's, you know, really to use a baseball analogy, we're in the bottom of the first in terms of, uh, you know, where that market is in terms of growth potential.
1: You know, it's interesting. People talk about autonomous semis and you think of the, the massive, massive problem that is to solve. But then you sort of look at like an autonomous forklift in a warehouse where you can geofence and, and you sort of know the guideposts. and It just seems like a much easier problem to solve for. Is AI going to fundamentally change the warehouse by the end of the decade?
3: Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not just in operations. Tim. You know, when you look at the way AI is being applied, it's it's a mechanism to better understand data. Yeah. right and within the warehouse every point at which a piece of material is touched or scanned or handled is a piece of data that's created right so how valuable is it to leverage automation ai driven automation to track the material journey from the moment it comes into a warehouse so the moment it's loaded onto the truck on its way to your warehouse until the point at which it hits your customer and then start to leverage those sort of tools to create to understand where the efficiencies and opportunities exist within the end-to-end process to drive the next level of uh, of improvement in how you move goods to the customer, because at the end of the day, right, materials are are depots; they're holding grounds for products that people want, people need. They're just sort of that middleman. So, how do we improve our ability to move goods to the people that ultimately need it and want it at the end? And AI is really a significant lever in enabling that everything from intelligently scheduling the humans that remain in the warehouse to allowing an autonomous vehicle to see sense and respond to its environment in real time as if it were
1: a thinking thing john you've given us a lot to think about in the warehouse tech space people who want to talk to an expert like you they want to talk to the experts over at Corber. where do i send them to
3: yeah, well you can check out uh check out our website Kerber Dash Supply Kerber dot supply supply chain dot Kerber dash supply chain dot com. <laughs> it's yes. a, it's a big heavy left there. Uh you can check us out there. You can check me out on LinkedIn, John Santigate. I'm easy to follow up with and, and you can see us at the many uh event trade shows that we attend on an annual basis. I'll be at Manifest speaking at Manifest in Las Vegas. Uh, next week. Um, coming up here in March, we'll be at uh, at the Modex show, the biggest material handling show there is on a on a semi, on a a biannual basis. Um, so check us out.
1: Excellent. Hey, John, thank you so much. Keep uh, holding it down in the Commonwealth for us. You got it, Tim. Nice to talk to you. Thanks for having me. Take care, sir. All right, everybody, let's take a look at uh, a little bit more of Warehouse Tech. Elsewhere, you ever thought of having your lumpers do this? Look at this. John Conrad said, uh, I spent a few weeks as a lumper in college. Can't say I enjoyed it much, but mad respect for those guys. When I was at Talbot's, I had spent a summer, um, like we were on the operation side and I was doing a CT pad revalidation, but they made us work in the distribution center And unload trucks, so I have unloaded a few containers in 53, I mean, a few 53s in very hot um, New England weather, a few trailers, not fun. Tricky Mick says, this is not smarter when a heavy box breaks your hand. My dad lost his pinky finger sliding barrels in the box truck. They were sliding empty ones, and no one told him the next one was full. Is that true, Tricky? Sorry to hear about your dad. Awful story. And uh, Jane Jing says that's impressive. Share, share with our warehouse team. Well, uh, Jane, you may just want to read Tricky's message here. Could cost you a finger. No, it could cost you a lot more. Freight theft, massive problem. We covered it last week. We talked about that CNBC article that said freight theft was, cargo theft was a 57% from 2022 to 2023. Sounds bad. We need to learn more. So we reached out to an expert over here. It is Danny Raymond, Supply Chain Intelligence over at overhaul and Danny I wish you're coming on on better circumstances and talking about people's freight getting uh stolen but here we are
0: yeah here we are Tim it's it's what <laughs> happened you know it's uh it's been going up for a couple of years now and it's it's just
1: getting worse it is. You know, in the article, your CEO was quoted, the CNBC one, and it said more criminals are turning from traditional crime. And this, the reason is scary, he said, and the reason why they're attracted to cargo theft is it's very, very low risk and very, very high reward. Why is this so attractive to thieves? Well, uh,
0: just like you said, low risk, high reward, right? Um, The problem is a lot of places this is classified as a property crime. Uh, Even if you steal a 53-foot trailer of pharmaceuticals, uh, depending on where you take it uh, and you cross state lines with it, it might still just be considered a property crime. And that can be a real issue when it comes to deterring thieves, especially the kind of folks who perform full truckload thefts. As a career, essentially, these folks wake up every day and travel multiple states just to steal cargo. Uh, So deterrence is really an issue. We've seen uh, in states where they have specific cargo theft laws on the books, uh, increased penalties for cargo theft and things like that. We've seen uh, that have some of a deterrent effect. Uh, But unfortunately, you know, it it still continues to grow. This problem just continues increasing across the country uh, in both geographic spread and in terms of sophistication from the thieves. That has really started to explode as well.
1: You know, every time online or on the news, you'll you'll see they'll always post sort of videos of people pilfering a store and like someone will run in, they'll grab an armful of Nikes or something at the mall and, and, and they're running away. And at the same time, I'm like, yeah, that looks bad. But you should, or like what's happening at CVS or some Walgreens. But like you should see what's happening at the back of trailers. Much larger amounts of cargo are being stolen. It's being done in a variety of ways. But first of all, who are these people? Who are these thieves? Well,
0: you know, traditionally it was what I mentioned, the the career cargo thief, right? The guy who wakes up every day and is going to spend 40 plus hours a week tracking down, chasing and stealing full tractor trailers. Uh, In the past couple of years, what we've seen evolve is the the sophistication uh, of large scale pilferage crews. Uh, kind of started around the pandemic, you know, we all saw the stories about, you know, freight trains lying still for days and weeks at a time. Uh, and a lot of these folks were already performing pilferages, but they started to get a lot more organized around the effort. They started recruiting friends. Uh, more people started learning about it, of course, because it was in the mainstream media news. And when these folks are not seeing a lot of penalties... Uh, and they're seeing quite a bit of success. They're going to continue to do. Uh, they're going to continue to perform these crimes. Uh, and as they see success, you know their friends see that they're having success and they're getting paid. Uh, they're going to join in in those types of activities as well. So we've seen this really upscale from you know what you mentioned. You know, people just kind of you know carrying an armload of cargo away uh, from an opportunistic theft that they just happened upon uh, to these folks actually tracking down trailers and containers and looking for specific markings uh, and, and going out there with multiple passenger vehicles, and that's evolved into uh, box trucks and cargo vans where they can bucket brigade an entire 53-foot trailer empty in less than 10 minutes, and I'll bet you that would make some some lumpers really jealous.
1: No, uh, You know, it, it puts a lot of suspicion on you if you're a driver, because it used to be, and I'm sure you're aware of this, like, investigators and, and, like, I talk to, like, insurance companies like travelers all the time, and if they have a theft, like a full trailer load of Nikes or a bunch of dimes or something that's obviously really Valuable because if you if you think about it, if you're a random thief you come by a trailer the probability you're going to find a, a trailer full of Stanley Cups uh, it's probably targeted or an inside job but is that changing Are these thieves getting more sophisticated and understanding markings better and, and how are they doing that
0: well absolutely. I mean first of all they are far more agile than any given corporation right they don't have overhead they don't have operations it's just them and their their friends essentially their crew right so they're able to turn on a dime they are usually. These are the folks who are generating these market trends, like the Stanley Cups, right? So they're aware of it before mainstream news kind of picks up on it. So they know what's in demand, they know what's selling on the platforms that they're going to be fencing this cargo on. Which usually for these large-scale pilferage crews, it's usually social media marketplaces. Now, that is different from our traditional straight cargo theft thieves, uh, who often have fence contacts who will ship their their full trailer loads overseas. Uh, so we are seeing, you know, quite a bit of, of, of excuse me, of uptick in that, but. Usually it's it's these local thieves. Um, They're, like I said, these are the folks who are making the trends, right? These are the guy; these are the folks who are creating that demand. So they know what's in demand uh, and they're, they're very uh, adept at at following the market and knowing what's going to sell, what has a higher value than MSRP, what they're going to be able to move quickly, uh, which is really paramount for them to get rid of that evidence. They want to be able to move it as quickly as possible.
1: Man, if they decide to go straight, if they ever decide to get into, like, procurement or something, if they're so good at these trends, they might, like, kick ass inside the house of a shipper if they use, like, if they put the white hat on instead of the black hat. But, like, this is in person, right? This is people, this isn't, like, double brokering. This isn't fraud where cargo may or may not be transacted. These are human beings coming to a truck where a driver may be And Are we seeing a rise in in violence or or hijackings or anything in that regard?
0: Well, I'll tell you what. Thankfully, not yet in terms of violence. What we have seen though, and is a worrying trend that very well may lead to violence is driver confrontation. Yeah. Uh, it used to be to where these folks were very risk averse, right? They did not want to have any contact with the driver uh, because that's going to you know, increase the chances that they're going to have to threaten violence or commit violence. And that's going to increase their sentence if, and when they're caught. Um, these folks, you know, they're, they're not as scared. I, I, I've seen video of these folks. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know if you watched that CNBC a story but we worked with law enforcement to get that video of that daylight pilferage that happened at a truck stop with dozens of witnesses uh i mean people walking right by doing double takes looking at these folks in a in a cargo van just cut the seal on a trailer and start unloading it um you know so they're, they're pretty brazen now uh driver confrontation is is definitely on the rise they're they're not as afraid of being spotted and i do worry that that's going to lead to violence and threats of violence uh we do see that starting i mean it, it's the norm in latin america mexico brazil central america etc uh so i am worried that that's going to become a trend here in the u.s because you know, you know a lot of these you know, pilferage crews are already violent criminals in the area in which they live anyways so they might not be uh, as as afraid to bring in violence to to property
1: theft I mean, the one that worries me is I've been seeing a lot of videos lately from people's ring cameras, especially out of Memphis. And it's been uh, Amazon delivery trucks and FedEx trucks and UPS trucks that someone goes to do a delivery. They go on the route. And and while the person's going to be back at their vehicle in a very short period of time, cars are pulling up, following these these trucks, casing them and robbing them. And you can even see in the ring. A lot of times the driver sees this happen and, and they're smart. They just, you know, they, they stand out of the way and call the police. They don't want to get confronted. They don't want to get shot. But like. It could be at night. You could come out at the wrong time. Confront these people. Maybe see a face. Like this could get bad really, really fast. What do we do about it?
0: You know, it's really tough. Uh, It's going to have to take uh, a re-education of the entire industry and a security posture being adopted by the entire industry. Being vigilant of what's going on. You know, if if you see yourself being followed or suspect that you're being followed, there there are actions you can take right to make sure. If maybe you're just being paranoid or, or, or you're you know, reading into something or if somebody's actually following you, uh, you, we always recommend drivers slow down 15 miles below the speed limit for at least 10 minutes, right? That's illogical, but it's not unsafe. Uh, and, if they, and during that time, change lanes a couple of times. Uh, and if you're still being followed by that same vehicle, the next step is to exit the highway, re-enter the highway immediately. Again, another illogical move, but still safe. Uh, and if if that vehicle is still following you at that point, at that point we will engage law enforcement. Uh, we ask the driver to you know drive to a well lit populated area where there's a lot of witnesses. Uh, if it's possible for him to drive to a police station, we we ask him to drive to a police station. Um, but at that point, you're right. You know, if, if something happens, if they're not able to get a hold of anybody, if they do, uh, unfortunately, we have seen a couple of, of instances in in California where some of these pilferage crews are frustrated by some of these drivers who don't stop and leave it unattended. Uh, we have seen some drivers get boxed in by multiple vehicles as they're entering a highway. Uh, and then, you know, a couple of bad actors will go to the back, pop the trailer and and steal as much as they can in a couple of minutes. Um, so seeing that kind of thing, you know, it, it definitely worries us. If you run into that kind of a situation as a driver, the best thing is, is just like you said, stay out of the way, lock the doors, be a good witness at that point. Uh, make sure you're, you're gathering as many details as you can for the for the follow up investigation and report.
1: It's kind of rough. It's almost like the the cargo ships on the sea back when. I guess it's Somali pirates are back, but back in like 2010, one of the reasons they would target cargo ships is it's illegal to have arms on those, just like it is for over the road drivers to have guns. And I'm sure a lot of thieves know that, so it makes it a a a less dangerous target for them with a ton of value in there if you've opened up a semi you don't really even realize how much crap is inside a semi truck and so you've physically opened one in person don't just look at statistics open one load one lump for a day and like throw up in the in the summer heat in new england and you'll know how bad it is but like other than the pilferage what other kind of theft is overhaul looking at right now what's contributing to this massive number
0: you know what what i think is the future of cargo theft what we have seen increases in over the past couple of years and what i think is going to be the future of cargo theft is theft by fraud uh, fraudulent theft strategic theft uh whatever you may want to call it and it's because of how scalable it is right Uh, when we talk about straight theft you know stealing a tractor trailer while it's unattended at a truck stop or something like that that takes at least two sometimes upwards of four people on a crew to physically follow a tractor trailer after they've done all the investigative work uh, and then wait for it to be left unattended and then they're going to steal it and then they're going to go and transload it somewhere else, repower it and drive it to where it needs to go, where they want it to go. That can take, you know, two to four people the better part of a day and and definitely more than a work day to complete the theft of one tractor trailer. When you get somebody who's adept at, at fraudulent theft methods, uh, the double brokering, the the carrier identity theft, the broker identity theft methods. Uh, We're talking about one person behind a keyboard can steal dozens of shipments in a day without even coming close to the physical shipments themselves. Uh, There's less risk involved. uh, It is more efficient operationally. And and like I said, scalability is just exponentially higher. Uh, It does take quite a bit of, well, not quite a bit of technical know-how, but it does take a fair amount of technical know-how uh, but the gains that they're seeing when they start performing those types of thefts is really scary.
1: Some of the fraud uh, that I've been reading about it, it it has to do with like MCS hacking, people changing numbers, MC numbers, dates. At, is this a trend line that is growing and you, and you predict to grow throughout 2024 especially as the economy is a little rocky?
0: Absolutely, yes. Uh, a lot of these folks that are performing uh, the, these strategic thefts, they're already legitimately involved in the logistics industry, right? They already have wow. carriers, they already have tractor trailers, and they've been doing it for years. Um, and in a lot of cases, they use that to get their foot in the door, to to gather their own intelligence, right? They're going to get copies of the paperwork. They're going to become familiar with your receiving facilities and your discharge—I'm uh, Or I'm sorry, your— Receiving facilities and procedures, your discharge procedures and your dis- and your origin facilities, they're going to become familiar with all of this, and they're going to find those gaps, and they're going to exploit the gaps in, in your system to be able to get away with cargo. Uh, and what can be even scarier for the legitimate driver out there is a lot of times they will rope in legitimate drivers... And those legitimate drivers become victims as well, not only because they lose time uh, and they have to, you know, defend themselves against police investigations and insurance investigations. But they'll very often also lose money because they'll get double brokered by a fraudulent double broker or somebody who's had their broker identity compromised. Uh, And then that legitimate driver will never get paid for the leg of the journey that he actually carried the cargo for.
1: Yeah, I mean, and that makes so much more sense. I mean, if you're you're talking about the sort of really old fashioned way of just trying to pop open a truck and hoping for the best that there's something in, inside it that you want, you might end up with some spandex leggings, but you want PS5s or something. Whomever you're pawning this stuff off on, uh, on TikTok It's also interesting to think that like the the trench coat, like back in like the '80s, you'd go in an alley and get your wife like a a fake Louis Vuitton pocket. Yeah, now it's now it's just an Instagram app. It's all on your phone. People setting it that way, but like. What do we do? Does this take a law enforcement thing? Cause you said like, even like with that physical version of this, it's only being treated as property crime instead of like a federal offense or a felony as it should, when you're talking about the values involved.
0: Yeah. And that, that can come into play with a lot of these strategic thefts too. If you're trying to stop a strategic theft in action, um, if you're dealing with a law enforcement officer who, who, you know, doesn't know the ins and outs of this very convoluted type of theft, uh, it looks like a contract issue, right? It's a civil issue. Police don't arrest people for civil issues. That's a, that's the thing to be dealt with by the courts, right? This is a breach of contract. Police don't arrest people for breach of contract. So it's going to change. It's, it's going to take a lot of changes, both on on, on the industry level and primarily there first. Uh, it's going to take some probably legislative changes in terms of getting cargo theft addressed as a specific crime in all 50 states. Um, but it's going to have to be driven by the industry. Uh, it's it's going to take uh, you know adopting the new technology. I think one of the biggest things is, is we need to move as soon as possible to digital paperwork, digital bills of lading that can't be manipulated. Um, obviously, if you can get that blockchain verified, that's the best way to go about that type of thing. Uh, but then, of course, you know there are solutions in place today. Overhaul offers a suite of solutions for things like that. But remote. Uh, remote compliance monitoring, uh, transportation visibility platforms, uh, you know, having one platform to to view all of your logistics and your entire supply chain in one place, look at it with contextual intelligence, know where the risks are, know what the risks are and how to guard against them. Um, but they are evolving, so it's something you have to keep on top of, right? These guys, uh, as I mentioned, are agile. Um, they, they can react at a moment's notice to market trends uh, whenever something is, you know, uh, has retail purchase restrictions because it's in shortage you can bet they're going to start targeting that and you need to harden your supply chain around those types of products uh, if anything is selling for higher than msrp on secondary markets it's going to be a target you know so it, it's it's really the first step is going to be you know increase your awareness uh, increase your network and then harden your supply chain but it's going to have to come industry
1: first uh, have you have you heard any uh, any horror stories from uh from anyone's freight getting stolen
0: yeah i'm not sure if i'm at liberty to share (laughs) there are a lot of horror stories of freight getting stolen out there um and and the worst ones that i've heard the the ones that really bother me are the ones where they don't know what happened right because they don't have visibility into their supply chain so they're just like it never showed up i don't know and that's the worst for me because where do you report like what department do you report that to what police department do you report that to if it came from la and went all the way to miami but it never showed up. You have no idea where it went missing. How, how do you even start to fix that? You know, those those are the worst ones for me.
1: Yeah, no, and you made a good point. Like, I can see why the police, at least on sort of a, like, a ghost load, something that, like, you paid someone to move something, but you actually still have the freight. I could see them being like, okay, this is a dispute between two businesses. But when you're talking about, like, someone's actual inventory commerce. The hundred thousand, three hundred thousand a trailer, it just seems like that should be a felony. There should be more involvement. But it's like trying to explain this industry to a layman. Like we all get it because we work in it, but you try to explain to right. someone else, they don't. They just I guess they just think it's another trucking transaction. Um, anything in over like what in overhaul do you think is going to be the most beneficial this year based on the trends that you see? <sighs>
0: I mean, visibility. It's it's all about visibility. Having the ability to break something down, even even after the fact, and, and investigate what happened with it, it is going to be huge. But visibility can provide you with the ability to act proactively. Uh, we've definitely we have uh, identified fraudulent and strategic thefts in progress and been able to stop them before they were able to get all the way away. You know, we've been able to de- to determine patterns of behavior of theft uh, that wouldn't have been noticed until you know, well after delivery. Um, In in many cases. So it's really the visibility piece is key. And when I say visibility, I'm not talking about fleet management, I'm talking about granular visibility, uh, not just to the tractor location, but to the condition of the freight as well.
1: Yeah, oh, you're talking about having like uh if you got reefer having some um, shock and heat cold sensors and and just really actually knowing exactly. the physical movement versus cause what you're saying too is like the tracking, like your regular tracking, that's just a number that's updated periodically. Like if you don't have GPS or something on there, you don't know the condition of the freight, mm-hmm. you could be track you could be tracking a dummy number.
0: Who knows? Yeah. And fleet management devices are, I mean, the easy if you ever go uh to the site of a recent full truckload cargo theft you will see the fleet management device right next to where the truck was parked because that's the first thing they do before they use the master key to start the ignition is they re- rip the fleet management device right out of the dashboard
1: so if you just see that sitting in the truck and you the truck is like it's gone or you haven't heard from anybody there's a good chance that that truck is now now out in the wild now uh, how do people learn more about this how do they work with overhaul how do they protect themselves from this problem
0: Uh, First and foremost, over-hall.com is our website. You can learn all about us there. You can see our historical reports are posted on there. A lot of our uh, supply chain alerts are on there as well. Uh, Definitely follow me, Danny Ramon on, on LinkedIn. Uh, I am kind of the uh, intelligence window into overhaul on LinkedIn We've got a great team uh, producing regional intelligence reports for for pretty much the entire globe uh, and we also offer intelligence as a service if you want to look at a particular region, a particular lane uh, or a particular part of the world uh, and see what the supply chain is uh, supply chain risk is particular to that area. Uh, you know get in touch with us we'd, we'd be happy to help you out but uh, hall.com or again follow
1: me on LinkedIn. Hey Danny, thank you so much for your time today. you have a great week, sir. You too, thanks for having me again. Take Have it easy. One. All right, before we let you go, a couple more things. A little public service announcement, the danger pulling over on the side of the road. Take a look at this video here. This is why we have move-over laws, even if there's not move-over laws. And I know this is a cop pulling over an SUV, but now think of a semi-stuck on the side of the road. Think of your own family side, stuck on the side of the road. And check what happens to this guy. He was smart to get on the other side of the SUV, but a moron in their, in their own SUV comes flying through here, hits this car on the side, sends the police officer flying. Fortunately, he is fine, but this can happen all too often. It is all too nerve-wracking. Uh, DO2 Roadside. We've had that gentleman on the show before. He said, this is why it costs $200 to move your truck on the side of the road. Take a look at this tape right here. Look at all the cars whizzing by. New Hampshire even has move-over laws. No one moves over. He says, this is why it costs $200 to move a car off the highway. F you if you have to stand there loading. Will you buzz my tower ignoring the New Hampshire move-over laws and risking my life? New Hampshire State Police, please start ticketing these people. It's dangerous. Trixie's dad said... I was a deputy before I started driving trucks and I was run over by two drunks. And now he drives a truck. I would like, I would not want to see a highway at all after that. Much respect for you, sir. A little cowbell. Um, Not a cat says it sucks. It's a highway with speeds over 60. We always send two trucks. Now, for just this reason one tr- one parks about 50 yards behind the tow truck to take the hit if people aren't paying attention paying attention costs more but safety is more important than money mobile truck repair says my head is on a swivel 24 7 when I'm on the highway and having to focus on the job is not easy but I also have a spiritual side of when it comes to death I'm not afraid to die and I can be happy I did everything I could well I could be the best me for the people and humanity Todd Campbell said I drive to an exit I immediately turn on my flash Yes, I've been yelled at, told that, told them, I value my life, but I value it much more than I value theirs. Nothing they can do. King Spud says, I'm finding an exit. I'm not stopping on the shoulder for anything, unless it's something catastrophic. William Sullivan said, we had a driver get killed while a mechanic was driving to fix his truck. He was putting out triangles. Dark, rainy night. I-95 in Connecticut. Car hit him and crashed into the back of his trailer. Dead on the spots. R.I.P. David Cardinal. Yeah, sorry to hear about your loss. And XI percent, 12 percent says it's time to stop non-emergency enforcement on road soldiers. Road shoulders. Take it to an exit. Yeah, like if it's not, if I'm not going to force the cop to follow me too long, I definitely, um, I definitely will be doing that. By the way, let's write the strap work. Let's take a look what we got going on here. Nice little horse pulling. And we got a little sound. Nice little horse pulling the... uh well, in the car julia says what a beauty i want six jeff dickinson says nice belgium their horseshoes are about the size of a dinner plate a set of shoes cost between 1400 and 1800 bucks and needs to be replaced every five to seven weeks maybe sooner depending on how hard you work them we had a gray steel colored one man you horse people are rich it's insane kevin Poisier says great strap work and only needed one horsepower too many tanks is more horsepower than a car but tiran says did you know that an average horse is approximately five horsepower plus or minus 1.5 horsepower depending on the size wow interesting stuff now before i let you go here's a little feel good we talked about theft and protests and all that stuff look at this great job mom great job workers man that kitty can't be like more than two Mine are seven and nine now. They grow so quick. All you kids having kids take a lot of pictures, take a lot of videos. This happens. Well, some people said this is stage. Well, maybe it is. Maybe it's not. But it made my kids smile, and it made them see what, what workers can do, and it made this kid smile. Kevin Rutherford said, love it. Eleanor Mackin said, I love this. How great for that kid. Andrea Hippick said, this is so good. I'm about to tear up like a little princess. Chris Mayberry says, I love it. And Herbert Orlina said, this re- this reminds me to my nephew and his love for construction and this kind of equipment. He's only four years old, but his eyes shine every time he sees this kind of equipment. Hey, great stuff. Hey, a little 10-gout cowbell salute for Rachel Premack. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, 9, 10. Find me on Twitter, at Timothy Tuner. Find the show at FW What the Truck. Take care. Don't be a stranger. We'll be back Wednesday.